Oh, smash. yeah, that's what I need. Triple A's. I get a whole smash. Uh, would you be able to bring me a couple on for Sunday morning? Oh yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Brand new one. Because uh, yeah. ooh, it's down to one bar. Ooh. Oh, yeah. ooh, ooh, ooh. Isn't that a phone charger? Uh, no. No voice recorder. Uh, at any rate, let's grab our hymnals and um, let we'll stand for our for our opening hymn here. Our I should say our final hymn, and we'll uh, open up to. Uh, 123, one of the great hymns of the faith, uh, hymn 123, praise the Lord for a Wednesday evening service to get together and worship. Near to the heart of God is where we need to be all the time. We'll sing all three <clears throat> of 123. As we get our choir tuned up, praise the Lord for that. Summer is over. <laughs> College kids are back. Amazing. One twenty-three people. There is a place of quiet rest. Near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest. Near to the heart of God, oh Jesus, bless Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, oh Place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God, a place where we our Savior meet near to the heart of God. Amen. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. of old release near to the heart of God a place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God oh Jesus blessed Redeemer send from the heart of God hold on Praise the Lord, people. Please be seated tonight. And what a blessing to be able to pray that hymn. It's a, it's a prayer, that hymn. Many of the hymns you'll find in your hymnals are actual prayers. She's asking the Lord to hold him close to the heart of God. Amen. Very, uh, very interesting. Uh, updated prayer lists for anybody who needs one. Uh, see a church secretary. 
And uh, at this time, grab your Bibles. We're going to get right to our message tonight <clears throat> in the book of Ruth. We're coming to a new chapter tonight, chapter 2. We've completed chapter 1 as of last time. And uh, we have found that Naomi has returned to the land of Israel, the promised land. And she's not alone. She's brought a daughter-in-law with her, named Ruth. Now, <clears throat> remember who represents who in typology in the book, because that's important for tonight's message, as it is for everyone in this book. The book is shifting gears as we come to chapter 2. Chapter 1 was all about Naomi and how she had to go because of the drought and how the Lord brought her back and Ruth came with her. So now, in chapter 2, as we begin the chapter, the theme of the book will shift to the person of Ruth. Ruth is the star of the book, as you'll quickly see. She's incredible. And the tension is going to be focused more on Ruth from here on out until chapter 3, where Boaz takes the scene, um, than Naomi. Okay, But Naomi's still in the picture. Very important. Every so often, I'm going to be coming back to the personage of Ruth and who she represents. Who does she represent? The church, the bride of Christ. And of course, Boaz represents the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. All right, look with me here. In tonight's message, I've entitled Ruth's Gleaning. Ruth's Gleaning. Now, gleaning, the Hebrew word means gathering in or gathering together. That's important. Ruth chapter 2 will cover three verses. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Well, Father in heaven, how we thank you for these verses tonight in chapter 2. And Lord, how we thank you for the most incredible book of Ruth. Lord, there is so much knowledge for us to glean spiritually from this book. But Lord, we thank you most of all for the person of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. We thank you for who he represents, Lord. We're going to see it so clearly as we progress through the uh, book here. And we thank you for our kinsman redeemer. <laughs> we thank you that he is high and seated upon his throne. Bless us as we study now through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Beloved, <clears throat> here in chapter 2, we have an incredible typology again where Ruth who is a type of the church, is, Gentile church, is found working in the harvest field of Boaz, a type of the Savior of the world, of course. She's working with great humility and willing submission. I hope you're listening. The picture couldn't be any clearer, beloved, that God's Holy Spirit is painting for us here. Let's examine tonight Ruth's gleaning. few things I want to give you. First, notice Ruth's rich kinsman. She has a, I'm sorry, Naomi's rich kinsman. Look at verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman 
of her husbands. That's Elimelech. A mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now, notice carefully here. Ruth, uh, I'm sorry, Naomi has a very rich kinsman. Naomi is very poor. <laughs> Naomi doesn't have two nickels to rub together. Naomi doesn't have food on the table. She doesn't know where her next meal is coming from. She has nothing. She's poor. She's broke. She's bankrupt. What a picture of the lost sinner. Amen? We have a very rich kinsman who is so wealthy that he has everything we need if we'll just come to him. Right? But if we never come to him, he can't supply our need, can he? Now, Naomi represents the nation of Israel, remember, right? And here in verse 1, we're told that she has a kinsman of great wealth. His name is Boaz. That name, Boaz, literally means, in him is strength. In him is strength. I'm here to tell you tonight that in our Redeemer there is strength. Amen? Great strength for whatever you and I need. Now, this Boaz, of course, represents the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus. He, Boaz, was the grandson of Nashon. Here's where it gets interesting. Nashon married a woman named Rahab, the harlot from Jericho. Yeah, that was Boaz's grandma. Now listen, uh, Nashon, his grandfather, was a prince of the tribe of Judah, from when Shiloh would come, the Bible prophesied. That's very important. He was the son of Salmon, who you'll find. All this is found in the genealogies of Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. Now, the youngest son of Rahab, the harlot, was Salmon. Okay? Two things we must observe concerning this rich kinsman named Boaz. First, that though he was totally rich, Yet he had very poor relations. He's so rich, and he has these relatives that are so poor. Isn't that odd? Look at this in verse 1. And Naomi, poor Naomi, had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. <laughs> then notice how the Holy Spirit includes that, that he had, he owned everything. <laughs> this guy could provide what you needed, right? That's a lot like our Savior, isn't it? Now listen. I'm so glad that our blessed Redeemer not only created the entire universe, but that he owns it all. <laughs> he owns, Boaz is very wealthy. He not only made everything, but it's all his. Listen, he's richer than anyone else in all of eternity, but he condescends to make poor and lowly beggars like us his own dear children, making us rich. Now, you don't get saved to get rich. You get saved to escape hell. <laughs> and because you want Jesus Christ, you want to be saved from your sin. But when you get saved, you become extremely wealthy <laughs> because of your kinsman redeemer. Look with me in 2 Corinthians. Hold your place in Ruth. Coming right back. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I love this chapter. It's all about giving. And you know that God gave it all? God gave it all. God gave the very best. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, don't miss this verse. Look at verse number 9. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Paul says to the church, say people, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that 
Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. Why? That ye, through his poverty, might be rich. <laughs> you know what Boaz is going to do? He's going to make Naomi and Ruth rich. Because everything he has is going to become hers. <laughs> so the first point I have here concerning her rich kinsman is that, yes, he was rich, but his relatives were poor. Secondly, concerning this rich kinsman, is that though Naomi was poor, yet she had access to a rich kinsman. Now, let me put it to you this way. If you're ready to be thrown out on the street, the landlord's come, he's going to board up your place and lock you out, man. If you've got a rich relative, a multi-billionaire, I am sure they'd come along and rescue you, right? This is the position of Naomi. Naomi is left with nothing after her sojourn in Moab. But she still has recourse to a long-lost relative. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that the nation Israel, whom Naomi represents, has recourse to a long-lost relative who is very rich and who can save her from her poverty, spiritually. Now, <clears throat> listen carefully. Israel is in a position where they have a very rich kinsman, but they lost him millenniums ago. They lost him. Zechariah chapter 12. Hold your place in Ruth again. In Zechariah... Got to move. Chapter number 12. What a prophetic book Zechariah is. Oh, there's so much of Jesus Christ in the book of Zechariah. Look with me in chapter 12 at verse number 9. This is a prophecy. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Tribulation period. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, those are Jews, by the way, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of grace and of supplications, and they, Israel, shall look upon me, whom they have pierced. Who's talking in verse number 10, somebody? Jesus, Jesus Christ, that's right, you know. This is, a, this is Jesus saying, they're going to remember me, the one they pierced on that cross with those nails. And they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Jesus Christ is the rich relative of Naomi. He's got everything she needs if she'll only look to him. Now, uh, oh, if you're still in Zechariah, go to chapter 13. In chapter 13, look at verse 6. And one shall say unto him, whoever the him is, Boaz, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those which with, with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Notice that Jesus doesn't call them his enemies because he's going to come back and save the Jews one day. It's true. Now, back to our text in uh, Ruth chapter 2. There's coming a day, and very soon, where Jesus Christ will hold out his hands, and they'll say, what are those wounds in your hands? And he'll say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends, Israel. Naomi has a very rich kinsman. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman was giving his testimony one time. He said, and I quote, I got off the train in Pennsylvania penniless, 
And for 12 months, I begged on the streets of Pennsylvania in order to eat. One day, I touched a man on the shoulder and said, Please, sir, give me a dime. But as I looked into his face, I recognized it was my own father and cried, Father, my father. To which my father replied, Oh, my son, I'm rich, and all that I have is yours. For 18 years, my rich father had been searching for me in order to give me all he was worth. <laughs> J. Wilbur Chapman, two story. Don't you know that Jesus Christ, their rich kinsman, wants to bestow blessing upon Israel? And he wants them to find him? <laughs> oh, so good. Naomi had a rich kinsman, but secondly tonight, quickly. Observe Ruth's desire to glean. Verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn, after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Now, beloved, Ruth here, of course, typifies the church, the bride of Christ. She desires to work in the harvest field of Boaz. Those who know the truth and have entered the labor field of the gospel count it their greatest privilege to be busy in the fields of, the, of harvest time. Amen? We want to gather souls to our, kin, our Redeemer. She does not say to her mother-in-law, let me go now to visit the ladies of the town or to go to the afternoon tea party or to the bridge club or to the bar room or after husband seeking, but let me go and work in the fields. The harvest is ripe. She loved not the bread of idleness, but she believed in what thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. She wanted to roll up her sleeves and get involved in the harvest, and she did. Like Ruth, you and I need to be busy about our father's business. Gleaning, that is gathering in the harvest, for the night cometh when no man worketh, folks. Proverbs chapter 6, quickly. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Look with me at verse 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. That's a, a lazy. A sluggard is a lazy. You ever seen a slug? <laughs> a, a slug is greasy and slimy and nasty. And it goes real slow. It's not going to accomplish anything because it's too slow. It's too lazy. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler... Provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. <laughs> harvest work. The ant will teach you to get busy in the harvest. You see that? The ants. Oh, yeah. Now, <clears throat> folks, Ruth had a sincere desire to glean the ears of corn in Boaz Field. Nobody twisted around. You know, you can't force anybody to serve God. That's got to come from in here. And the only way you'll have that desire is by the Spirit of God within you. Amen. You can't fabricate that desire. You can't make it up. You can't fake it. It comes from the Holy Spirit within. Many years ago, being captivated by a cause much greater than herself, a committed Christian lady braved the bitter cold of a Chicago street corner, middle of the winter, to give out gospel tracts, inviting men to the Pacific Garden Mission. A young man named Billy took one of her tracks and came to one of the meetings where he received the Lord Jesus as Savior. 
Historians did not record the little lady's name, but everyone knows the little boy's name for winning countless thousands of souls to the Lord in his evangelism. His name? Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, one of the greatest preachers of all time. <laughs> she went out. The Lord told her, I know it's a blizzard. I know it's freezing, but go out there and give a gospel tract to a young man. And she obeyed. And that man was Billy Sunday who got saved. Wow. <laughs> she understood. We need to be busy gleaning the harvest, but something else. Notice the special favor bestowed on those who glean. Verse number two, the special favor bestowed upon those who do glean. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. Now, Beloved, Ruth here shows the underlying reason why she desired to labor in the field. Listen, it was because of the one who would favor her with grace. Notice in verse 2, carefully, the word grace. She said, I am going to find grace in his sight. And she did. Listen, the bride of Christ understands that it's by the grace of God we are who we are. It's not by self-righteousness or some kind of works. Beloved, here is a great spiritual truth uncovered. That is that all those who, like Ruth, chose to serve the master do indeed find grace in his sight. He favors you. He favors you. Why? Because you belong to him. He favors his servants with divine grace and that without end. Do you realize his grace is eternal? We will enjoy heaven forever with our Lord. Grace equals the unmerited favor or bias prejudicially bestowed by God. Wow. He doesn't favor you because you work in his fields. He favors you because he loves you. Got to, you got to get, grab hold of that one. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, quickly, flip back a few pages before Joshua to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Look at this verse. Moses tells the children of God in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For thou, Israel, art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. You're special. The Lord did not set his love upon you be, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath, he always keeps his oaths, which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says it wasn't because you're a goody two-shoes that he took you. It's simply because he loved you. He loved you. You know what Jesus Christ did when he was on that cross with his arms stretched out dying? He was saying to the world, I love you! I love you! And the world took back, I don't need him. But for those of us who do, oh, he loves us and he privileges us with grace. Donald Gray Barnhouse once gave a definition of God's grace and unmerited favor. He said, there have been many definitions of God's grace, but I'd like to submit a very simple one. It is the undeserved favor, kindness, and love of God our Savior toward man, spelled G-R-A-C-E, 
That's God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. He paid in order for you to receive his grace. Isn't that good? Ruth knew she'd find grace in his sight. And she did. It's the reason why. Now, fourthly, quickly, notice how she gleaned after the reapers. Look at verse 3 here. And she, Ruth, went and came and gleaned in the field. What's the next three words? After the reapers. Now, you've got to understand, in Bible times, how they would plow a field. The reapers were the first ones in. Now, she gleaned after the reapers, okay? Understand here that the reapers would come in. They would reap or cut the ripe ears of corn, and they keep going. It's not going to stop to pick them up. That's where the, reap, the, that's where the gleaners come in. You've got reapers, then you've got gleaners, okay? Now, the reapers would follow after, I'm sorry, the gleaners would follow after the reapers, and they would gather the, the reaped corn in bundles, okay? It's like a picture of the church. We're gathered together. Now, <clears throat> this means somebody needed to be willing to come and glean after the reapers. Well, guess what? The corn would rot in the sun. You have to reap it quick. You have to glean it quick. The picture is clear. Street preaching, soul winning, tent meetings, evangelizing are all great and they need to be done. But any and all souls reaped must be gathered up and brought into the storehouse. <laughs> Amen. We got to get them in church, folks. Once they get saved, it's not enough. The devil will swallow them up out there if we don't get them discipled. This is where the gleaners come in. We must gather them in, disciple them, and promote their spiritual growth, development, and well-being. Nobody else will. The devil wants to destroy them once they get saved. Doesn't want to make them ineffective for the Lord. Psalm 126. Look at this verse. Psalms 126. You'll love this. One of the precious verses of Scripture here. In Psalms 126. Look with me at verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You labor for the Lord, you're going to have joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, word of God, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. <laughs> you know what God just did in Psalm 126, verse 6? He guaranteed you a harvest if you will glean. If you will glean and reap in his harvest fields, he guarantees success to you. Look at it, it says, he shall doubtless, <laughs> that means surely, come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Why? He gleaned in the fields. She gleaned in the fields. And she brought her sheaves with her. Now, <clears throat> Dr. Kermit Long, he said, and I quote, with all of our education, our fine buildings, our image of the church, we are doing less today to win people to Christ than our unschooled forefathers did. We're no longer fishes of men, but keepers of the aquarium. <laughs> and we spend most of our time swiping fish from each other's bowl. <laughs> Stealing church members, you know. So true. Why does a guy want to steal somebody else's church member instead of going out and winning them to the Lord himself? It's ridiculous. But we got to glean after the reapers. And fifthly, finally, observe that she was directed by divine providence. Ruth was divinely directed, though she didn't know it. 
Look with me here in verse 3 again. And she, Ruth, went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap, that word means chance, was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, this word hap means chance, of course, but we must understand that nothing happens by chance to a child of God. Hear what I said? Nothing happens to you by chance. It's either caused or allowed by God's permissive will. The devil can't kill you because God won't let him. He's in charge. And anything he allows is fine. Anything he doesn't allow won't happen. Why? It's because it was God's will for Ruth to chance upon Boaz's field. It was the will of God. Now, uh, nothing happens by chance to those who love God. Amen? It's not gonna, there's no accidents to a child of God. To those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for our good. Right? Listen now, beloved. In closing, Ruth knows not which way to go, nor whom to inquire after. But on blind faith, she goes out trusting in divine providence to bring her to the right place. Look at verse 3. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Now, Ruth, without guide or companion, arrives at the field of Boaz without even realizing it. Folks, do you, do you understand tonight that you will find yourself smack dab in the middle of God's will and you didn't even plan it? <laughs> he did. He did. And he orchestrates your circumstances to bring you to that point, like he did for Ruth. Now, providence directed her steps as God wisely orders all events of the believer's life in his perfect wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of all things. And he does so with contingency to serve his own glory. Did you hear what I said? And the good of his people. God will direct you into his will for his own glory. It's not so you can oh, I'm doing the will of God. No, you're not, you prideful rat. <laughs> we got to stay humble and realize it's only for his glory. I'm alive and breathing for his glory, not for my own purpose. Now, listen, in Genesis 28, quickly turn back to Genesis chapter 28. Look at this verse. In Genesis chapter 28, we have Jacob visiting Laban, his uncle to take a wife. Now, he falls in love, of course, with uh, Rachel. And look what happens here in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. And behold, this is God speaking to Jacob. Watch what he tells him. Behold, I am with thee. Period. That's good enough for me. We don't have to continue. Amen. But he continues. And will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. <laughs> See that in verse 16? Amen. He didn't realize he was where God wanted him to be. And he heard God's voice, and he said, Now I understand. God is here, and he won't leave me. Oh, that's such comfort tonight, Amen. beloved, to know that he won't leave me. To know that he goes before me and prepares my way, Ruth. That's <laughs> so good. Now, uh, he's telling Jacob that he's in control. 
And listen, William J. Wolfe was called Abraham, he has called Abraham Lincoln one of the greatest theologians America ever had. Well, he wasn't a theologian, he was a president. But listen, he said that Lincoln's theology was profound, not in the technical meaning of producing a system of doctrine, and not as a defender of some one denomination, but in the sense of seeing the hand of Almighty God intimately connected in the affairs of all nations. Abraham Lincoln understood that. God had a part in everything that happens on the earth. He understood that. That was his theology, and it was a good one. Lincoln knew about divine providence, and Ruth is learning quickly. Ruth is learning quickly. But let me give you this in closing, and we'll be done tonight. Uh, the incredible John Knox, one cold and snowy night, arose from sleep, fell to his knees, and began to pray his heart out for Scotland. His wife importuned him to come back to the pillow and go back to sleep, to which he replied, Woman, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? Oh God, give me Scotland or I die. <laughs> That's what he prayed. Lord, give me the souls of Scotland or I die. It meant so much to him. Beloved, that's the kind of burden we need to have to be found gleaning in the fields. Like Ruth, Father in heaven, how we thank you that Ruth is a type of the bride of Christ, the church. And she's found out there in the field gathering together the harvest. Uh, Lord, gleaning, gleaning uh, what the reapers had left behind. And Lord, how we need to go after the reapers. Lord, have how we need to go and gather them up and bring them into the storehouse that they may be nourished, that they may be fed, that they may be grown strong in the Lord. And Lord, we just thank you tonight for the spiritual truths couched in these verses. How we thank you that Naomi, a type of Israel, has a long lost rich relative. His name is Jesus Christ. And one day she will realize it. He is physically connected to her. He is full-blooded Jewish in the flesh. And Lord, we just thank you so much tonight that that day is coming. In the meantime, we need to be Ruth. We need to be who Ruth represents, the bride of Christ gleaning in the fields. We thank you for it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Beloved, let's grab our hymnals at this time. Before our Wednesday night prayer meeting, we'll sing one. And uh, it appears that we're good. Half a bar. <laughs> wow. And grab your hymnal and uh, open up to hymn number 12. I want to I sing hymn 12 tonight before our prayer meeting. Because this is, if we're going to be a Ruth, if we're going to be effective uh, gleaners in the field of God, in the gospel field, we need to pray. Amen? And we need to pray some more. And uh, I've never met a Christian yet who pray too much. <laughs> you can't pray too much. <laughs> Paul said pray without ceasing. <laughs> so we need to pray, indeed. Hymn number 12, we'll sing the first and the second tonight in closing. If our choir is ready. And our piano player. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from the world of care, and bids me at my part.
to be with you tonight in the house of God and just prior to our Wednesday night family church prayer meeting we'll split up 